Will you find your way one last time with me to John chapter 14? It's one of the best known, most loved uh, passages in all of the New Testament. It is absolutely one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible. And it teaches us some tremendous truths about our forever home called heaven. We've been in a series of studies by that title over the last several weeks, Heaven, Our Forever Home. And here's the question that I want to ask you this morning as we wrap up, put a bow, finish, and conclude this particular study. Have you made your reservation? Have you made your reservation? John chapter 14, uh, this morning, as you're finding your way there, a pastor caught two boys playing hooky during Sunday school one morning. He brought them back to the office and he said, don't you want to go to heaven? And the boys said, I don't. Kind of caught the pastor off God. He said, you don't want to go to heaven when you die? He said, yeah, when I die, I thought you were getting up a group to go right now. <laughs> heaven is no joke, right? It's real. As a matter of fact, again, heaven is more real than this place or any other place that you or I have ever been. And one of the things that I've noticed over the last several years, and maybe coming into the COVID time, maybe coming out of it, is that people seem to be more interested and really fascinated by the Bible than any other time in, in, in my lifetime. We, we see this in several different ways, but I, I tell you one place that I do see it, and that is the popularity of the, of the TV series, The Chosen, right? We're in the third, third season right now, right after the spring, uh, you come into season chapter four, or season four, I think. It's the highest rated, most watched Christian series or movies in all of history. Even months ago, over 500 million views, 110 million unique viewers. And it just goes to show how interested and hungry people are to know what the Bible has to say and what the Bible has to teach. And not just the Bible, people are interested in heaven today. You go to any bookstore, uh, go on to Amazon.com, Cyber Monday, right? Uh, you're going to go to Amazon.com, and, and if you go on there, you're going to find book after book after book after book uh, written by, by people who say that they've died, went to heaven, and they came back. 90 minutes in heaven. Heaven is for real. Heaven, an unexpected journey, dying to meet Jesus, how encountering heaven changed my life. Imagine heaven, near-death experiences, God's promises, and the exhilarating future that, that awaits you. Now, unlike some of my pastor buddies, I, I'm not going to say that these folks didn't actually die. As a matter of fact, John tells us about a man by the name of Lazarus that died was dead for four days until Jesus Christ commanded him to come back to life, walk out of the grave, and that's exactly what he did. And I have no doubt in my mind that Lazarus could have written an entire book about everything that he saw and experienced during those four days. But, and here's the important thing for us this morning. Every one of those folks who wrote those books, and even Lazarus himself, had a lot of what people would call a near-death experience. And a lot of times people will say, well, pastor, they died, they came back, they were resurrected from the dead. No, they weren't resurrected, they were resuscitated. You say, what's the difference? Well, if you die and you came, come back and then you die again, you were resuscitated. If you die, come back to life and you never die again, you were resurrected. Lazarus came back to life. Now, there was a day when he died. 
All those folks who wrote those books, whether they died on the operating table or on a, uh, on a football field or by the side of the road, they died, they came back to life. They have either died or they will die again. Why? Because they weren't resurrected. They were just simply resuscitated. Jesus Christ is the only man who died, was resurrected, rose from the dead, never to die again. All right? And so that's what we're talking about here uh, this morning. Now, we're talking about heaven. We're finishing up our series on heaven, and I hope that it's, it's blessed you and encouraged you and, and helped you and answered some of the questions that, that you maybe have had. If you want to know more, one of the best resources out there other than the Bible on heaven is Randy Alcorn's book on heaven. It's a long one. It's about that thick. It's 49 chapters. No, 47. 47 chapters. I was talking to my friend Ken Whitten, who just recently retired as the longtime pastor of the Idlewild Baptist Church in, in Tampa. He's a friend of, of, of Josh and mine. And, and Ken was talking about Randy Alcorn's book, and he, he said, Randy knows things about heaven that even God doesn't know. There's only one real expert on heaven, and his name is Jesus, right? And I think it's fine and good, and we ought to read those books on heaven, but we never need to forget that the best, most trustworthy book on the subject is the Bible because it was written by the one who is from there, who went back there, and who is building it for us right now, this very, very, very morning, and his name, of course, is Jesus. Listen to what Jesus had to say. John chapter 14 about heaven. John chapter 14, verse 1. If you've made your way there this morning, say, uh-huh. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Now Thomas said to him in verse 5, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I heard about a city slicker who decided he wanted to go for a ride in the country one day and he got lost. That's what happens when city slickers go into the country. You get out there where your GPS doesn't work and you don't have road signs and it's not all, not all laid out in a nice grid and so he got, he didn't just get lost, he got lost. He had no idea where he was, had no idea where to go, and he's just driving around. He ends up on a dirt road, I mean, out in the middle of nowhere, E-I-E-I-O. And so finally, he looks up in the distance, and there's a farmhouse in the distance, and so he drives up to the farmhouse. He pulls up along the front of the farmhouse, and there's a farmer on the porch, because that's a farmhouse, right? There's a farmer on the, on the front porch smoking a pipe and rocking in his chair. The city seeker rolls down his window, and he says, Hey, old man. Is this, he said, oh man, is this the best way to the city? And the old man said, nope, it's the only way to the city. Look right here this morning. Jesus isn't a good way. Jesus isn't a better way. Jesus is not even the best way to get into heaven. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Amen. So over the last couple of Sunday mornings, we've been looking in, into the Bible to answer some of the most important and pressing questions that people have about heaven. And I hope that you've been tracking with me and that we've learned some really important, exciting, and encouraging things. We've learned, for example, that if you're a Christian, 
the moment, the second that you die, you will be in the presence of your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, because Paul said, absent from the body, present with the Lord. We've learned that we'll know our loved ones in heaven better than we ever knew them down here on earth. And not only that, we'll know everybody in heaven better than we knew our own family or our closest friends on earth because the Bible says we'll know just as we are known. We learned that while we may not have our pets in heaven, uh, there will be animals in heaven. And can I just say this to make you feel a little bit better? Uh, since God's going to own everything, we're not going to have ownership of everything. He's going to own all the animals. So let's just say that all the animals are going to be our pets, all right? That make you feel better? No, I didn't think so. We learned that babies that died before they were born or even afterwards, they're going to be in heaven. We're going to know them. They're going to know us. And they will be what they would have been in this life if Adam and Eve had never sinned with all of their vitality and potential realized in that celestial city. We learned that we don't become angels when we die. That is one of my biggest pet peeves. And I'm so glad that we're not close to this lately. So when, when, when your mom or your daddy dies, they don't become angels. Can I just say that one more time? They don't become angels. Don't, don't lower your mama. Don't lower your daddy. The Bible says that the angels want to learn from us. No angel has ever sang amazing grace. They have no idea what it means to be saved. But the Bible does say that for the Christian, when we die, we will be carried by the angels into the presence of Jesus. And when we get there, we're going to have a body like Jesus had after the resurrection, a body that can walk on water and walk through walls, but that can be touched and enjoy a, a meal of fish there on the side of the Sea of Galilee. It's going to be a problem that won't have any of the limitations or problems that we've had down in this life. It's not going to grow old or get weak or sick. It's not going to wear out. It's not going to be held back by time or kept down by gravity. And like we read last week, when we get there, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and it's going to be a perfect environment like God intended from the very beginning when he created the Garden of Eden just way better. And praise God, we're not going to be wearing diapers, sitting on clouds, fluttering our wings, and strumming harps forever and ever and ever. We're going to have responsibilities and opportunities to serve Jesus. We're going to know him and see him in a wonderful, beautiful, eternal place of perpetual praise and worship called heaven. That's a little bit about what we've learned over the last couple of weeks. Now, Barna has a new poll. And what they discovered is that um, the American people, what they do when it comes to heaven, the American people, they cut and they paste their views on heaven from television, movies, comic books, and friends. And ultimately, it is these sources that, that make us give in to the assumptions that, that what we see is real and what we don't see is not. And so the question for us as we wrap up this series is, then what is the answer? What is the antidote? Well, we've got to learn and remind ourselves of what the Bible teaches. So let me show you as we wrap up our series this morning one last time, John 14, about four little things that Jesus tells us about our forever home called heaven. Here's the very first thing. Let's talk about our residence in heaven. Jesus said in John 14, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Luke tells us in Acts that 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus Christ ascended back to heaven, to the right hand of the Father. And when he did, he kept his promise to send the Holy Spirit to be with us and live in us. 
And so here's the question. Since that time, the question is, what is Jesus doing right now? And here's the answer. He's preparing a place for us in heaven. As a matter of fact, that's exactly the word that Jesus used. He used the word place. And the word place there is the word topos, like topographical. I told some of our game wardens out at uh, the West Campus this morning, I, I saw a, um, a post yesterday, and I, I sure hope that it's, it's goose season. Uh, I'm not a goose hunter, so I don't know, but, but there's the guys that posted, they killed a bunch of geese uh, over the weekend. And somebody said, well, you didn't get those in Georgia. And they said, yes, we did. And they, they took a screenshot of the map, and right where they were, it's a little northwest of Atlanta if you want to go find them, Right? And so there's a place, an X on the spot, on the map, topographical, where you can go find it. That's the word, topos, topographical. Heaven is not some sort of a dreamy, foggy, misty uh, place where there's nothing solid, no stable place to put your hand or to set your foot. It is a place, a real place. And like I told you a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that I always do in my notes is I always capitalize the word heaven because heaven is a real place. It is a proper noun. It's just as much of a real place as, as Martinez or, or Evans or, or Harlem. Now, let me ask you a question. Are y'all still there this morning? How many of y'all have your old King James with you today? Can I see your hands? You, raise your hands. You got your old King James. Hold it up in the air. You know you're proud of it. Hold your old King James. You know you want this. Raise your old King James up in the air. I've got, how many of y'all got your new King James like me? Raise your new King James up uh, in the air. Okay. So in your old King James or in my new King James, you're going to read these words. In my father's house are many mansions. That, that's what my beloved new King James says. In my father's house are many mansions. Here's the problem. It's a really poor translation. It's, it really is a poor uh, translation. And what it does is it gives rise to a lot of wrong ideas and, and wrong imagery, and it causes us to sing Southern Gospel songs about when we all get to heaven, we're gonna, everybody's going to have a mansion. You're going to have your mansion, I'm going to have my mansion, and, and we're all going to be kind of like in a subdivision called Heavenly Acres, and you're going to have your five acres, and I'm going to have my five acres, I'm going to have my mansion, you're going to have uh, your mansion. Oh, it's heaven, 50 acres, 500 acres, 5,000 acres. We're going to, no. The word is monet. Oh, I've, oh, it's corny. Can I just warn y'all about what I'm about to do? Monet. Here she comes now singing Monet, Monet. Bad, right? I have no idea what that word means. You know where it comes from in the song? In the song, they were writing, they were writing this song, and they looked out the window and they saw the 40-story Mutual of New York building with the M-O-N-Y at the top. That's where the money comes from in that song. Now, in the Greek, it means rooms. That's what it means. In my father's house are many rooms. And that just makes sense when you think about what Paul said. Paul described heaven as a building in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. He said, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal into heaven. Billy Graham said that this is a great truth. And one that should encourage us every day. Think of it. If you know Christ, someday you will enter into your heavenly home. All of our cares and sorrows of this life will be over, and you'll be safely in God's presence forever. This life is temporary. Heaven is forever. This life is imperfect. Heaven will be perfect. This life is full of heartache and pain. And heaven, we will know only peace and joy. And here's the thing. Jesus right now is preparing a place, a room for you in the Father's house that we call heaven. 
And my question for you again this morning is, have you made your reservation? Here's the second thing that I want you to see this morning, and it's our reassurance of heaven, because Jesus made a promise in verse 2. Jesus said, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So all my life I've heard people, even some preachers, that will make a statement something like this. Well, you know, nobody can really know that they're going to heaven. Or they'll say something like, you won't really know that you're going to go to heaven until you die. When you die, you're going to see whether or not you made it. Here's the thing that's wrong with that. It's just wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach that you're going to have to go second class, that you won't know until you get there. That is not what the Bible teaches. As a matter of fact, John said in 1 John 5, 13, these things I have written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may, what's that next word? Know. That you may know that you have eternal life. If you have somebody tell you, a family member, a friend, somebody that means well, that you work with or go to school with, well, you know, you just can't know whether or not you're going to heaven. You can tell them this. John says you can. John says that if you believe on the name of the Son of God, you can know that you have everlasting or eternal life. One of my favorite passages uh, to read at a funeral service when I'm officiating it is the 23rd Psalm. We all know the 23rd Psalm. It's, it's really the most loved, best known of all the Psalms. And I think one of the reasons why we love it is because of just the peace and the comfort that it gives to us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Comforting, right? To think about the Lord being your shepherd. He's going to take care of you. But I think the best part of the psalm is not at the beginning. The best part of the psalm is at the end. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David said, I may not know much, but I know this. When I die, I'm going to dwell, I'm going to live in the house of the Lord forever. It's not a might, it's not I hope, it's not even I think. David says, I know that I'm going to live forever in God's house. He was sure, certain, absolutely convinced that he was going to live with God in heaven forever and ever and ever. My father in the ministry, James Merritt, put it this way. He said, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're saved, you are as sure of heaven as if you were already there. Number three. Let's talk about our reference for heaven. Look in chapter 14, verse 4 again. Jesus said, and where I go you know and the way you know. So Friday week ago, Kim and I flew out to Southwestern. And um, just to be, to be there for, for really just overnight. And uh, I, I didn't plan it out real well. Now, we, we kind of had it where we could get out in the afternoon and get back the next afternoon. And uh, I told, we got there and Kim said, now, how far of a drive is it from the airport uh, to uh, the hotel? And I said, oh, it's only like 20 minutes. I forgot about DFW rush hour traffic on a Friday afternoon. And so when we finally got to the Hampton Inn there in Forest Hill about an hour later, <laughs> we walked in and that young lady who's been behind the desk every other time when I've gone in there, I walked in, I smiled at her, she smiled at me, and I said, 
Donald Witt. She said, well, I remembered your last name. I, did, I forgot your first name. And so she clicked on the computer and she said, oh, I have your reservation. I have your reservation. The Bible says that there are records, books in heaven. And one of them is called the Lamb's Book of Life. And if your name is written down in his book, it means that you have a reservation, the absolute assurance of a place in heaven. The very first time we read about this is back toward the very beginning of your Bible in Exodus. The Bible says that, that Moses came down off of the mountain and he caught the children of Israel worshiping a golden calf. And Moses said to God, God, these people have committed a great sin. They've made for them a God of gold. And then he says this in Exodus 32, verse 32. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. Aren't you glad that God didn't take him up on that? Moses said, Lord, they, they shouldn't have done this. They're worshiping a golden calf, and they've made, they've made this God of gold. And so if you're not going to forgive them, just blot my name out of your book too. David talked about it, God's book, over in Psalm 139, and here's what he said there. He said, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and yet in your book they are all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. Daniel says in Daniel 7 verse 10 that there's going to come a day when God opens his books on the day of judgment. Jesus sent out his disciples in Luke chapter 10, and man, they came back excited and, and, and thrilled, and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And then Jesus said this in Luke 10 and verse 20. He said, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And then you come to the last book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation. And we read where John is given a glimpse of glory in the new heaven and the new earth. And he makes it clear that not everybody is going to be there in heaven. You get to Revelation chapter 20 and it talks about this final judgment of those who rejected God's Son and His gift of eternal life. And here's what it says in Revelation 20 beginning of verse 12. And I saw the dead small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the what? The book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I've had people, they'll say something like this. I just can't believe that a loving God would send people to hell. He doesn't. He, he doesn't. God doesn't send anybody to hell, and God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. As a matter of fact, he's done everything he can to keep them from going to hell. Peter put it this way. Peter said that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any, say any, any should perish, but that all, say all, should come to repentance. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. God doesn't send anybody to hell. A person chooses to go to hell by rejecting God's Son and refusing to accept the offer of His free gift of eternal life. My pastor Adrian Rogers put it this way, that, that God put a cross between you and hell. And if you want to go to hell, you'll have to crawl over the cross of Jesus. If you die and you go to hell... What that means is that you rejected God's Son and His death on the cross 
and you refused God's love that was demonstrated by his death on the cross. Zig Ziglar put it this way. He said, the good news is that there is nothing we can do that is bad enough to keep us out of heaven. Can I get an amen on that today? There's nothing we can do bad enough to keep us out of heaven. The bad news is there's nothing that we can do good enough to get us into heaven. You, you, can't, you can't merit one square inch of heaven. You can't earn one square inch of heaven. Where you spend eternity is determined by what you do with Jesus in this life. So the Bible says that there's a book in heaven with the names of those who will live forever in that real eternal place. And here's my question for you again. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Have you confirmed your reservation for heaven? Here's the last thing. And that's our reliance about heaven. Look in verse 4. Jesus said, you know where I'm going and you know the way. And look what Thomas says in verse 5. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then Jesus said to him, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Whenever I travel, and it's too much, whenever I travel, Patricia will put on my calendar where I'm going, what it's about, what I'm supposed to take, and then what she will do is she will put down the reservation, the confirmation numbers for the hotel, the car, something like that. I, I always got it because, and by the way, I need the address too because I can get lost in my backyard. But when I walk up, I can say at the Hertz counter, I have this reservation. Matter of fact, when we were at Fort Worth a couple of weeks ago, Kim's still mad at me about this one. We got there and I, and I thought I'd seen an email that said I could walk straight through. That's, that's kind of what I want. I, want to, I don't want to stop. I don't want to stop at the counter. I want to walk straight through. I want to get my car and I want to go home. And I thought I'd seen an email with that, but I, I couldn't find it. And, and so I, I had a reservation number, and I, and I waited, and I kept waiting for somebody out there. And I, I remember going out there to the gold canopy. Go to the gold canopy. So I walked out to the gold canopy. Nobody's out there. I saw some folks walking around with a little vest on, but, but I couldn't stop them. And so we waited like 30 minutes. Kim sitting on the side getting madder and madder and madder. And finally, I, I saw this little building out back, and people were in there. And so I just walked in there, and, and I said, I have a reservation number. Can I just go get a car? And he said, let me see. He said, what's your name? And I gave him the reservation number. And he said, yeah, go pick one out and go. I was like, yes. Now, this one's going to date you. Remember the Seinfeld episode about the rental car? Remember Jerry, what was it, Elaine? Jerry and Elaine walk up to the worthy rental car counter. And there's a lady there behind the counter, and she said, all right, what's your name? And he said, Seinfeld, I, I have a reservation for a midsize. She's a small, <laughs> just joking. And so the lady behind the counter, the clerk, and she's clicking there on her, on her computer, and she said, I'm sorry, we don't have a midsize available at the moment. And Jerry said, well, I don't understand. I made a reservation. Do you have my reservation? The clerk replies, yes, we do. Unfortunately, we ran out of cars. Jerry says, but the reservation keeps the car here. That's why you have the reservations. And the clerk starts to get a little snippy with Jerry, and she says, I know why we have reservations. And Jerry says, I don't think you do. If you did, I'd have a car. How many of y'all remember this? Can I see your hands? 
see, you know how to take the reservation, you just don't know how to hold the reservation. And really, that's the most important part of the reservation. It's the holding. You, you can't just take them. You've got to hold them. Aren't you glad that God doesn't just know how to take reservations? He knows how to hold reservations, right? I love how one of my pastor buddies put it. He said that our confirmation, our reservation number for heaven is JN316. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's been called the gospel in a nutshell. And it is God's personal promise to you that if you will believe, put your trust in Jesus, you will have everlasting life. And you will be with him forever in heaven you can't earn it you can't win it you certainly can't steal it you can only receive it as a free gift paul said in ephesians 2 he says for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of god not of works lest any man should boast let me wrap it up with this there was a couple just got married true story and they were going to spend a night at a hotel before they got up early the next morning for their flight, I think, to Hawaii. And so when they got to the hotel, the manager of the hotel was a close family friend of the grooms, and so he decided to give them a room free for the night. They got the key, they go upstairs, and when they open the door, to say that they were disappointed is a massive understatement. When they open the door, it's just a little bitty room, I mean a small little bitty room. All it had was a pull-out sofa. There was a bathroom, but no tub, no shower, just a toilet. There was a mini refrigerator, but the, the snacks were really expensive. And they thought, wow, he shouldn't have. <laughs> they thought about going to say something, but again, it's free. He gave it to them. They didn't want to be ungrateful. And so they spent their first night on a pull-out sofa. They get up early the next morning. They go back downstairs. When they go back downstairs to the counter, the manager's there with this great big old grin on his face. And he says, how did you like your room? And they said, well, there, there must have been a mistake. He said, what do you mean? You, you had a suite. No, no. All we had was a pull-out sofa bed, a toilet, and a mini refrigerator. He said, well, let me have your key. And he checked it. He put it up against the computer. And he said, no, no, no. You had the suite. We, we gave you the suite. Didn't you open the door and go into the, that room where you were was just the sitting area? You didn't, you didn't open the door? Because in the other room, there's a king-size bed. I had the staff create you and cook you a special meal set out all the silver we took rose petals and threw them all over the floor and on the bed we even filled the tub up the oversized tub with bubbles you didn't go in there and that young newly mad couple just kind of hung their head <laughs> here's what they said we thought it was the closet and we didn't open the door And I heard that story and I thought, isn't that the way it is for so many people? 
Jesus loves you. And Jesus has prepared an amazing place for you. Not just for the night, forever. It's yours for all eternity. All you have to do is open it and receive it by faith. All that Jesus has provided and is preparing for you.